0: Well, back home it's 45, and that's why we come here during the, your winter, but this is a little obnoxious. I just want to warn you, my pants probably will fall down at some point during this preach, but I have nice black boxers, so it'll look like I have shorts on, and long shirts, But and I know some of you are like, ha ha, yeah, no, I'm, I'm serious, like I'm trying to emotionally prepare you. So if you see me like speaking with my hand in my pocket, it's to keep these pants on. I have a belt, brew. So uh, I always like it when Greg introduces me because he's super nice. Every other minute that I'm around him, he's cruel and unyielding. And I've been actually confronted by several men in your church. And so I am going to start off so that this preach can go well making do because i shaved. And so here's my 200. It's for you. I heard it was 200. Yeah. So there you go. I'm paying it up. Yeah. I know. No one knows. <laughs> I won't I won't start any rumors. So, uh Okay, this one, I don't know. Does anyone remember any time I've been here before? And usually I'm pretty happy and slappy and tonight is gonna to be miserable. And there'll probably be a little bit of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So uh how many of you because tonight I call this, this sermon Relentless Grace and And every preach I'm going to do will start with Relentless. And, you know, Relentless actually came from uh, last year, actually. This was the first time that was with your congregation. And by the way, we genuinely feel like this is our home church. So I want you to know that. And and it was last year my father had passed away, and he had graduated to heaven. And I, as you know, have ways of telling stories, and I tend to be able to make anything funny. And my wife wasn't here as long as I was. I stayed about 30 days, I think, or close to it, and she was here for about 10 days. And the day she left was my, I think, my first sermon. And and you just looked at me and said, it's time. And I'm like, time for, she's like, it's time. You need to tell your dad's story. Of his death. And so this was the first place that I shared publicly the very intimate, bizarre details surrounding my father's death. And if you missed it, you'll have to go find it and download it or something. Yeah, it's probably there. Um, But Greg actually had a prophetic word for me last year. He's probably already forgotten it. And it had, yeah, (laughs) I figured. That you, you you, you, and it was actually that Sunday when you're introducing me, you said, Hey, Bru, I, I got a prophetic word for you this morning. Can I share it? I went, Okay. And, and it was basically that God is going to start using me to influence churches, and He's going to give me more influence with churches and pastors. And since that day, um, you know, a lot of things have happened that have been following that. And then, by the way, one of the ladies in your congregation. Was that, was it Wednesday night that we had the prayer and, no, it was Sunday night, uh, came up and just furthered that prophetic word in an extraordinary way, so I know God is up to something and he tends to really move here for me in South Africa, and it really does, it feels like home, and we love being here, we've been here, we got in on June 3rd, but um How many of you, so tonight is about relentless grace, and my fear for the majority of you is that you don't get it, because I know I didn't get it, but I really fear that you don't fully understand grace, because as I'm starting to understand it, I'm I'm beginning to realize that grace can't, and you just can't read about it, right? You can't look it up in the dictionary and be like, oh, grace, you really have to experience it, I think, to be overwhelmed by God's grace. And the reason I'm calling it relentless is that it is. It's totally, it's overpowering. It's uh, obnoxious. It's, it's, it's impossible to believe. And when you experience that grace, I think is when, when God is moving mightily in your life. And he's making changes. But. I know for a fact there was a lot of you here tonight that were a lot like me. And so I'm just curious, how many of you have been overwhelmed by your poor decisions? Let's just start putting hands up. (laughs) Overwhelmed by your poor decisions, overwhelmed by the hurt that has been caused you, or overwhelmed by your addictions? Who are my addicted friends? That is a nasty pit. And the worst thing, I think, about addiction is we know it's bad. We know it's damaging. We see the danger, and we hurl ourselves head first right into that pit. And that pit is a nasty because the nature of addiction is that we keep doing something that we don't want to do. See, if, if for those of you who haven't really struggled mightily with addiction, you don't get it. Like when you go up to someone and go, you just need to stop. You're clueless and I swear I'm going to punch you in the nose. Because when you say something like that, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not your thing. You got a different one. Greg is laughing because he's convicted right now. I'll fight you after your other fight if the guy works you up enough. But I'm just being honest, all right? So tonight is going to be a very honest evening. And and I know, look, first of all, let's be really clear. All of you are screwed up. Can we have an amen? Let me find, like, the kindest face in here, and I'm going to shame you mercilessly. That blonde right there, you look very kind and loving. You're just as screwed up as I am. Just saying. You look very kind. And you probably are. But you're also messed up. So, like, easy. But it feels like when when you're dealing with someone whose big problem is addiction, uh there tends to be a lot of lack of mercy from the community and a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of negative beliefs that, well, if you loved me, you'd stop. What the heck does me loving you have anything to do with me stopping? That's, again, the nature of addiction is I can't stop. It's gotten so out of control. I've dug such a deep pit that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm lost in this sin I'm not happy about it, and furthermore, it doesn't mean that I love you any less. No, I get that it might feel that way, because it's destructive, right? Serious addictions, food, that was mine. Drugs, alcohol, sex, they're destructive, and they're overwhelming. And so tonight, when we talk about relentless grace, uh, I wrote down here, no matter how far you run away or how disobedient you are, God still loves you and bathes you with his unending grace. You genuinely cannot screw up your life enough that God ends up turning his back on you. You can't do it. But Satan's goal, especially in the throngs of your biggest sin... And the thing you struggle with the most and that honking secret that you've been keeping from everybody, Satan is telling you, oh boy, you went too far. And and the reason I I like to be honest when I preach is I get frustrated sometimes because people assume those in authority or those who are uh, pastors or educated or whatever, you know, don't have the same struggles as you do. But we're all in the same boat in terms of the consequences of sin. And so for me, uh, dealing probably over 20 years of just eating totally out of control you well, know, not you know, 20 years ago, it kind of was a, a slow death, but it progressed and progressed and progressed and progressed to where I finally got up to 138 kilograms. That's a lot of kilos. And it's weird for an American, because obviously we're not on the metric system, and any time I've ever heard kilos referenced, it's been to cocaine. This is an interesting side fact. So it's always weird for me, 138 kilos of drugs. No, I mean, I was, you know, gigantic. And so last fall... It was, I was about as overwhelmed as I have ever been with my addiction and with my weight totally out of control and my wife feeling frustrated. And and uh, and the thing that really beat me up the most was about three to five, well, maybe five years ago, Amy and I had gotten into, like, for those of you who are addicted, you don't have to put your hand up, but, uh, you know, don't you love... Don't you love those conversations with your loved one when they just melt down over it? They're, they're frustrated. They're broken down, right? Have you been in one of those conversations with your spouse where they're just like, come on? So Amy and I had had one of those, and I had gotten pretty frustrated. And so as I not always do, but on this occasion, ran away. And into the garage where my studio was, and I'm in the garage, and I'm, I'm laying down on the couch, and I'm crying, and I'm, and I, and it's not about her, about the addiction. Right? It was a pretty intense conversation. You remember. No, but it was fair. I mean, come on. You can't be, have a raging out-of-control addiction and then just expect everyone who loves you the most to be cool. Right? It's hurtful and it's scary and they're concerned for you. And so I'm, I'm in the, my room, I'm laying on the couch, I'm having a complete meltdown, but I had one of the most profound insights of my life because I remember vividly telling God, I'm out. I quit for almost 20 years, Lord, I've been trying to lose weight and I get fatter and fatter and fatter. So, and I did, I said this to God, I went, clearly I'm not very good at this. And so I'm out, I quit, I am not trying anymore, but the important part of this conversation with God is I'm going to surrender to you. So if you want to do it, if you want to get me healthy, if you want to help me in this thing, then you got to make it happen. You know, prove yourself. You say all these promises, but yet I keep dealing with this stupid thing over and over and over again. And wouldn't you know, within a few days, the Holy Spirit told me to call one of my buddies who's a Christian psychiatrist, and said, you need to meet with him about your ADD. I went, all right, and I surrendered. I went, he's telling me to do it, I'll do it. That's an embarrassing call to make. I have my PhD in psychology, so to call a fellow dude, they go, hey, Peter, what's up? And he's like, hey, Smalley. I'm like, hey, I'd love to get together. And He's like, yeah, you want to do lunch? I'm like, well. He's like, oh, and of course he had to make fun of me. And he's like a serious guy, too. And he totally started like, oh, sounds like someone needs an actual appointment at my office. I'm like, really? And so he made me hurt for it, but I scheduled it. I was obedient. I went in, and and we're talking. I'm like, man, I am so frustrated. I don't know what to do. My weight is out of control. I wake up, and the first thing on my mind is this obsession to eat something, and specifically something bad. I go, I just, I don't know what to do. The Lord told me to call you, so here I am. And he's like on his computer, he's a total nerd, and he's like, and then he prints out this thing, and he hands it to me, and it says uh, the correlation between ADD and obesity. First, I liked that it rhymed, thought that was a nice touch for a journal article, but as I read, because I have, I'm very ADD, and as I read, I was like, good Lord, and he goes, did you, did you not know the correlation? I'm like, no, Peter, I didn't. And so he goes, have you never tried to medicate? I went, well, yeah, like a long time ago with Ritalin, and I hated it. It totally changed my personality. So I'm out, and he goes, you do know we have other ways. I went, really? And so he got me on some stuff that really started to help with my impulsivity. But like a week after that, um, I had this raging addiction to fast food. So I was spending roughly $800 a month U.S. on fast food sneakily. Which I still don't fully understand how you didn't know. Like, how do you miss eight hundred dollars a month? She's trying to tell me it wasn't that much. I'm preaching. So my word counts. But it was a lot of moolah. And and it was one of those things I'd prayed for years, going, God, I just I can't again, I just couldn't stop. And it's just miserable. Because you go to McDonald's before you go home to eat, and you're ordering it, and you feel guilty ordering it, and you have about five seconds of excitement as I chow it down and then just pure condemnation. What? All right, I over-exaggerated Greg. Close to five seconds, because I had to eat it before I got home so she wouldn't see it. I know, it's sick, isn't it? And so... And there's so much condemnation about it, and, and I'll never forget the morning. I dropped my son off for school, and I'm coming back, and I was going to go by Chick-fil-A to have my favorite breakfast in the morning. And, the, and as I was pulling over, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know what, you don't need Chick-fil-A this morning. And then I actually said out loud, like it was just a weird interaction, but I went, yeah, I don't, even, I don't need Chick-fil-A this morning. So I pulled back onto the road and, and, and kind of kept going, and then a little bit down further the road the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know what, you're done with fast food. And I can remember going, yeah, you know, I think I'm just done with fast food. And it was like the weirdest thing. I hardly even really thought much about it until about four or five uh, that day later, uh, I'm driving, and in the past, when I would try out of self-will to resist and go, no, don't have it, resist, I made up for it by lunch. I mean, made up for it big time. Like, I'd go on a bender. And so, by like four or five that day, I'm driving, and the Lord goes, Hey, you know that thing you've been begging me about for years? I went, Uh huh, the fast food yeah. had. He goes, Have you not figured it out that I took it away today? And I can think, You took it away? And he goes, Yeah, it's done. You're done with it. You don't need it anymore. And, and, and with that part, it was gone. And I realized I hadn't even eaten yet. I hadn't even eaten yet that day, and it was 4 or 5 in the afternoon. And so he took, took that away miraculously. And, 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 and that was even one of those things I felt like I didn't even deserve for it just to be taken away like that. And then thing after thing kept falling in place. And the, kind of the last one was you're done with desserts. because desserts for me. I mean, I sound like a heroin addict, and I think it's actually relatively close, honestly. Uh, dessert's a major trigger. I just, it's like an alcoholic. You, you just can't go back and have a sip. You're just going to take another and another. you just—you got to be done with it. And he said, you're done with dessert. You're never to eat dessert again. He was very clear about that. But it was a God thing. It wasn't my thing. It wasn't my idea. These were things that I, as I was praying and working through this, that the Lord was telling me. And so for probably close to two years, I had unbelievable success. I lost 60, I think 60 pounds, and in a healthy way, not dieting and not doing anything extreme. I was just being healthy. And then it happened. I'm in the car with my daughter. She goes, hey, can we stop by Starbucks and get a a mocha frappuccino? And I went, a mocha frappuccino, what is that? And she goes, well, it's like, uh, you know, coffee and ice, they blend it, and there's like mocha in it. And I went, ooh, that sounds delicious. And the Holy Spirit could not have been more blunt with me. No. That's dessert, buddy. Two years I'd been free of dessert. Don't do it. That, that counts. That's not just a coffee. Don't have that. And I literally rejected it. I was totally disobedient. And it went from one Frappuccino to two Frappuccinos to four Frappuccinos to boom. And then it was just like Satan moved in through my disobedience. And I went out of control. And then my dad gets sick. And then I cope with eating with that whole stuff because we took care of him as he died in our home. And then that was another excuse, and then another excuse, and then another excuse. And then I found myself at 138 kilos on uh, June, well, yeah, as recent as June 12th, 2018. So here's why I'm, I'm in South Africa. Not just to talk about my debauchery and disobedience. What is tonight's sermon about? Relentless. I couldn't have been more disobedient, more debauchered, more out of control. Back in the fall, my thought life was so terrible. It was so out of control that I thought I can, this is sad. I literally said to myself, I'm okay dying quickly. I'd rather be fat than live long. What in the world? I mean, who says that? This is about as dark as it could get. As discouraged as I could get. I was so I had I had heaped so much condemnation on myself for being disobedient. Because I had success. God gave me freedom. He gave me miracles. He took care of me, and I rejected that? What kind of a loser, believer or disciple in Christ, rejects that? I mean, how do you reject success? I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I'm like, God did it. He freed me. I was getting healthy. I was feeling good. And yet still I chose to blatantly disobey him. I'm not even going to go in to the other things that I was feeling and saying about myself. But interestingly enough, I went to breakfast this week. Um, I invited myself actually to breakfast with Greg and Brad and I think Daniel came along. And (laughs) we all invited ourselves. I think it was supposed to be Graham and, you know. But a bunch of us showed up, and then he starts talking about what he was reading that morning in his Bible study, and it was Joel, wait, were you, yeah, it was Joel 2, 12 12 through 14, and this is the message version, because I really liked it. But there's also this, it's not too late, God's personal message, come back to me And really mean it. Come fasting and weeping. Sorry for your sins. Change your life. Not just your clothes. Come back to God. Your God. And here's why. God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath. Puts up with a lot. This most patient God. Extravagant in love. Always ready. And this is what almost blew me out of the water. Because what I was already preparing to preach on tonight always ready to cancel catastrophe. That's what I was. I was a catastrophic disaster of epic proportions, the worst of my entire life. And yet, he's always ready to cancel the catastrophe that we even do. It's not like people were doing it to me. These were my own personal choices of disobedience that put me into this catastrophe. Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when it's all said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust from your God. What? See, I know some of you are hearing this tonight, and you still don't believe. it Because for some reason, you've been unwilling to just believe, even when you don't feel it. You've resisted believing. That's what I did for close to three years. I refused to believe that God could love me despite of my out-of-control addiction. It didn't make sense. I was disobedient. I went against the Holy Spirit. There was no way. I refused to believe it. So if you find yourself in that pit, or you find yourself full of fear, those for those who are in Christ Jesus, you don't need to be. And I want to tell you where it turned around for me. And it started late last fall, probably in maybe November, December. But the Holy Spirit really confronted me hard about who I felt I was, my image. It was so ugly. I mean, y'all, I avoided mirrors like a vampire. I just wouldn't look. I couldn't look. And I had so much self-loathing when I woke up, throughout the day, as I went to bed. And the Holy Spirit basically just kind of slapped me around and said, enough. That is absolutely not who you are. Who am I to reject Christ's sacrifice on that cross? Because remember this, when Christ chose to get hung up and brutally murdered and sacrificed on that Christ, he did it for me. And he did it knowing three years ago I was going to blatantly disobey and blow him off. And he did it anyways. And so because of that sacrifice, I want to be clear, because of that sacrifice and the blood of Christ, guess how God sees me? It's perfect. God created us in His image. And because of what Christ did for us, that's how God sees us. He doesn't see you as the addict, as the abuser, as the liar, as the cheater, as the gambler. That's not how God sees you. And so if... That's your view of yourself. That's it, And I'm telling you, there is no way you're ever going to crawl out of that pit until you start identifying yourself for who you truly are. And that is a child of the king created in God's image. Do you have any idea what that means? The value that puts on your life? How beautiful you are? How clean you are? how perfect you are as you are presented through Christ to God. That's who you are. You are a child of the king, and you need to start living as one. And so as I started going, as I started confronting the self-loathing, and I think I even mentioned something to you, uh, that, hey, I got to stop. You don't even realize what the things I say about myself But I have to stop identifying as that. Pray for me. This is not okay. And so that sort of started the turn for me, and it, you know, it didn't go away immediately. I got heavier. (laughs) But I want to encourage you that even when you're out of control, you can't quit. You just can't quit. And I know that other people are going to look at you because you're getting fatter, and they're going to assume that you've quit. I never quit. In these 20 years, other than when I surrendered to Christ, but that's a good kind of quit, even when I struggled, even when I was gaining weight, I wasn't okay with it. Does that make sense? Like the danger for you that is going to lead to a really bad death is when you go, it doesn't matter. This is who I am. And I'm, you know what, I'm fine with this. I never got there. I know I was close because I was saying stupid things like, I don't care if I die early. But you just can't quit. And so, yeah, in 20 years I've tried a lot of diets. I've done a lot of things. None of them worked, and I'd get bigger. It was crazy. And so as I started identifying myself as a child of the king, that started setting me up to experience God's relentless grace. But it didn't really hit me hard until I got here. And the reason I'm here and the reason my pants don't fit is that at the height, probably in March or so, March or April, my buddy, who's also my our family doctor, just said, man, dude, I think you need to. I think you need to consider gastric bypass surgery. And I had tried to do something similar to that years ago, but because I had donated a kidney, the doctor wouldn't even meet with me. So I said, but Peter, I didn't think it was another doctor named Peter. They're all Peter. <laughs> and he said. No, you can do it with your one kidney. That shouldn't be a problem. So I found a doctor in the United States that met with me and said, yeah, 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 I can do it. But then, you know, the I think a part of it is that if you want the healing, if you want to experience the grace, it comes at a price. It comes at the price of obedience. And a lot of times he's going to ask you to do things that are not easy or fun. And it comes at the cost of embarrassment. Do you have any idea what it's like to have to go to an hour-long seminar on morbid obesity? And you walk in. I actually called my best friend, Casey, and said, I can't go alone. He's like, you want me to go to the obesity conference with you? I went, I need you. He's like, fine. So Casey, who is fit and skinny, jerk, came with me. And as we walked in, of course I arrived early, and so as we walk in, the conference room is empty, it's at a hospital, but on the flipping projection screen, it says dealing with morbid obesity, and I just went, oh, this is the worst conference ever, and my coping mechanism is sarcasm and humor, and so I went, hey, Casey, I got my phone out, and I, I just thought about this before I got up, I, I should have got the picture But I went, hey. So we were the only two in there. And so I'm like here, and Casey's like in front of me, and the slide is behind him. And I went, i got to get a picture with you and that slide in the background for like a memory. (laughs) He's like, oh, yeah. Now Casey is, I don't know if he's weirder than I am, but it's arguable. We are two very inappropriate people. And so I'm like, all right, now work it, baby. And so Casey starts doing these sexy poses. He's, like, pulling his shirt down. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's the ticket. That, and I, we're just being funny. And then I'm like, uh-huh. Oh, I like it a lot. Casey's eyes, as he's, like, showing a, his chest pack, his eyes, like like a deer in headline, went, oh, no. I go, there's someone behind us. He goes, mm-hmm. And I just awkwardly turned around, to the nurse who's going to be leading it. And I mean, she's stunned because these guys are practically doing a pornographic photo session. And I went, I just don't feel like there's anything I can say. (laughs) She goes, honey, there isn't. (laughs) I went, I'm here for the obesity conference. (laughs) And so that started this process. But here's the thing. In Luke 12:32, Jesus says, and he's speaking to the thousands, a huge group, "Fear not, Luke 12:32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." In Luke 12, there's four things that we tend to fear that Jesus kind of highlights. One, we fear death, and Jesus' response to our fear of death is, "Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body; they cannot do any more to you after that." Which is why I've never feared death. I'm like, well, death is a gift. That's why I have so many near-death experiences. <laughs> we tend to fear public shame, in in verse eleven, and when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. So, okay, public shame, Jesus trying to say, don't worry about it. Three, we tend to worry about our basic physical needs. That is why I tell you, in verse, uh, I'm not sure, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. But the biggest fear of all is that God won't take me back or love me. I went too far. I am too disobedient. I am too out of control. I am too addicted. I am too abusive. I am too ugly. He can't. There's no way. And what is Jesus' response to that? In verse 32, So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great, Happiness to give you the kingdom. NIV says good pleasure. In Greek, this is a verb. Because you need to understand this is the heart of God. In Greek, it's a verb. To be a pleasure or to be pleased by. So we could say it pleased God. Or God chooses it gladly to give you the kingdom. Like, this isn't some obligation God feels. It's His very nature. It is His pleasure. It is His joy. It is God's desire to give you His grace. But the question tonight is how many of you believe that God, this lowly servant king, is just a veneer? It's a trick. I mean, yeah, he's the lamb, and yeah, I know he laid down his life, um, he unconditionally loves me. But how many of you really believe that tonight? I mean, truly, to the core of your being, believe that this is who God is. You need to challenge yourself. Because beneath what we read in Scripture, most of us believe that he's a terrible power waiting to punish me for my sins. And slip-ups. That's where I was. I thought, there's no way on my level of disobedience over this addiction that God is going to take me back. His deepest desire can't be to bless me and meet my needs. But what you have to be clear about are these are blatant lies of the evil one. They're lies. It's not true. Your job is to remember. And so I want you right now in this moment to close your eyes and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of how God has loved you. How has He shown His love for you? Because if you can't think about that, the Holy Spirit's job is to bring those kinds of things in remembrance. So just pray right now. Simple. Holy Spirit, In the name of Jesus, I ask, just reveal to me how you've loved me through my life. Just take a second. Are you even willing to see it? Are you willing to hear it? If you're struggling, I'm just going to tell you, reject any spirit of deception or lies about who God is. And if you can't receive this message tonight, you need to start challenging your belief in who God is. And possibly, and this is something the Holy Spirit gave me yesterday, possibly you might need to own that you can't believe that God is because you don't. Because that's not how you treat the people in your life. Maybe you don't have a lot of grace for others. Maybe you're dealing with bitterness and unforgiveness. Maybe you're not the kindest. Maybe you're not willing to take someone back after they've tried to repent. Maybe it's you. And you're projecting your own junk onto our almighty creator. And you need to reject that because your job is to repent and ask forgiveness. And the crazy thing is you don't have to beg God because it is his pleasure, his desire, his will to love you unconditionally. This trip to South Africa has been overwhelming for me. To experience, like I said at the beginning, to not just read about God's grace and what he did for him and what he did for her and what this happened or hearing someone else's testimony. My testimony is as I got as out of control as I have ever been in my life with the biggest sin that has messed me up in so many different ways and hurt people that love me. And who knows the consequences of it, right? I don't know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow. But as I was processing and I was seeing the expense of doing gastric bypass because the United States insurance won't cover it, it was like the Holy Spirit again went, you should think about South Africa. Most Americans would never think about coming to South Africa for a surgery. I'm just being honest. Because most Americans haven't come here. They're idiots. I know South Africa. It feels like home to me. My, some of my closest friends in life are right here that we have met through New Day that we see annually. They come to our house, and we come and stay in their homes. And I thought, ooh, I wonder if it's more affordable there because you guys don't have all the crazy lawsuits, right? feels like a surgeon here could mess up and be like, sorry. Is that a fairly close? Which I flippin' love that. It's like the old west out here for surgery. And so I reached out to my community here and said, "Hey, I need to get some help here," and and, and because I had gotten over a certain BMI, you know, BMI whatever that stands for. Yeah, sure, I'll believe you. And and and, and that's what my one of my closest friends and our family doctor goes, dude, and there ain't no coming back from where you are right now. And there's just virtually no success once you get over a certain level of BMI. And I had passed that. He went, you really need to consider the surgery. And so here's how good God is. I reach out. I get a couple of names. I land on a Dr. Anton Bota. Botha? I don't know how to pronounce it. Let's call him Fred. And so, like, this dude is so chill. And I'm like, this American is WhatsApping him, and he's WhatsApping me. I'm like, so, you know, would you be willing to do this? And he, like, you know, it was like, it was so easy. I just kept thinking, this just feels too easy. You know, like, I'm going to end up waking up in a bathtub full of ice and missing several vital organs. I mean, I don't know who this guy is. I was like, well, he's really eager, and it's going to be half the cost, and, hmm. But I'm, I am who I am, so I have no, I don't, do I fear? I am not a fearful person. That's not my thing. Food addiction, that's a thing, but not fear. And so, I'm like, wow, okay, this guy's being so chill. And he's like, yeah, don't worry about the psychological assessment. I trust you. I'm like, sweet. And don't worry about the blood test. I'm like, that feels more important. (laughs) And then we get here and we get to stay with our friends, Daniel and Marga, in Bedford View, which makes you feel very fancy. You know their place. You're his brother. I know. And, and And so we get here, and my first week june week of June third we find out my brother's in South Africa, and so we visit him, and then I have surgery. Now, you need to know in my life, I have never had a surgery go proper ever remember if you remember the kidney thing, I almost died donating a kidney and I mean, nothing has ever gone correct. I always end up in ICU. And it's like chaos. And it's painful. And it takes forever. And I go in on June 12th, three-hour surgery. I wake up from surgery. I got up from the surgery bed by myself. I went to the bathroom. And I'm standing there hours after surgery going, I can walk. I only stayed one night in in the hospital. So I checked out on Wednesday. I was at gym on Friday. I stopped my pain meds on Saturday. And I have currently lost 18 kilos in three weeks. Well, you can, yes. Thank you, gastric bypass. (laughs) But here's where I'm overwhelmed. I didn't deserve any of this. I didn't do any of it right. I literally screwed up as much as you can screw up. And I had so dug myself a hole that I was told there is no coming back from this hole. And it just doesn't feel. And that's why I cry every single time in worship now. It is no coincidence that everything has gone incredibly smooth. The Anton, by the way, is brilliant. And he did a spectacular job. But when he saw me for the first time, he went, dude, this is a miracle. Nobody recovers as fast. There are so many possible side effects. I mean, really like headaches and major issues you can have after gastric bypass. None of it. My emotions have been good. So, you know, when you're addicted and you don't get to do that addiction, you tend to be a bear. And I haven't had any of it. I've been nothing but filled with joy. And then last week, we got to go to your brother's place, and we had our own Butler. Yeah. I've never had a butler named positive. I know. I mean, really? I am at a place, I think, where kings and queens go, and I have a butler. How may I help you? I'm like, oh, positive. I didn't see you there in our bed. No. And so, I was like, you're very, very sneaky, sir. We have, been, we have been surrounded by the most loving community who has done nothing but speak positive, kind words in my life. Not a single person has judged me because a lot of people get that with gastric, like, oh, really? Quitter. Don't you trust God? Ever heard that? And what God has taught me is that he has relentless grace. He pursues us, wants to bless us, wants to love us, wants to do this for us. And so your job is to recognize that that's what he is. That's who he is. He's yearning for you to take his hand so he can bless you, so that he can lavish his grace on you. And guess what? You don't deserve it. I didn't. And I have had nothing but blessing after blessing after blessing. And what overwhelms me is not the positive things. It's that God could love me after rejecting him for so long. That's what blows my mind. How is that possible? It's because of how he sees me. He doesn't see me as rejecting him. That's not who I am to God. And so he's here for you tonight. Let's bow our heads. Because God wants to tell you some stuff that he gave me. So as I close in prayer... This is what God is telling you. And so I'm just asking, maybe even put your hands out in a receiving gesture, because I want you to receive this, because this is who God is. Little one, I have so much I want to give you. You are my child, my blessed one. Let me love you. It's okay. I'm right here. I see you, and I see me in you. You aren't just some creation to me. You are made in my image. Take my hand. Till the tears run down from my eyes, Lord, somebody, ooh, somebody. Can anybody find me somebody to love? Alexa, play hits from Queen. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.